Welcome to the Conversations with Jesus podcast. I'm Johnny Lehman, a baptized man of God who has the amazing privileges of being a husband, father, and the pastor at Divine Savior Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. This podcast is designed to bring you the self-sacrificing love of Jesus found in the Bible through 15 to 20 minute episodes that focus on relevant life issues and what God has to say about them. Check out our website, DivineSaviorChurch.com, as well as our Facebook and Instagram pages to find out more about the incredible things God is doing through our church family. We have some really deep stuff, super relevant things to talk about this week. It's, it's a topic that some theologians have called the theology of the cross. It's one of the deepest doctrines in the Bible, and it changes everything. When you think about not only what Jesus' cross means for you, but the amazing honor we have to carry our crosses for him. And so we're going through, as you know, the Gospel of Mark. It's been this podcast series that we've been locked into since January. And the theme today specifically is losing to win. So when you think about this, again, we've been in this race metaphor for a while now. But again, no one likes to lose. No matter how much our competitive nature drives us, we still prefer to win. But sometimes you win by losing. And if you want to follow Jesus, you have to lose to win. You have to give up your life for Jesus in order that he can save that life. You have to deny yourself and follow him just as Jesus denied himself to take up his own cross. And these things are not things we can do on our own, right? It's things only God's grace can do. And so as we get into Mark chapter 8, I'm thrilled. This section of the Bible has always been meaningful to me. And I can't wait to really unpack all the incredible, incredible gospel here in Mark 8. So let's go ahead and hear this amazing section of scripture. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. What about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you're you're the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me And for the gospel, we'll save it. This is the good news, the gospel of our Savior Jesus. I just have to come right out and tell you that these verses from Mark are extremely personal. They take me back to when I was 15 years old 
my dad had given me an amazing Christmas gift, the opportunity to join him on a tour of Israel. And I think it was about halfway into our adventure that we went to the very place we're going to today with Jesus, Caesarea Philippi. And we were standing in front of this shrine to this fake god called Pan, a false god, a god of unrestrained desire that to follow Pan was to simply let your imagination run wild. It was a god to self, a strikingly similar thing, concept to the modern world we find ourselves in today. But as we all stood there, the tour guide took us into Mark 8. I specifically remember him reciting Jesus' words, and for whatever reason, as he was doing so, he, he chose me to be the one he set his sights on. And he said, slowly but pointedly, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And it hit me. I teared up. I, I tried to mask my emotion, but it was then and there that maybe for the first time in my life, I truly began to understand what bearing my cross was all about. Jesus, losing my life for him, just him. Now, of course, the irony is not lost on me that we're about to have a dialogue, right, in this podcast about self-denial, and, and all I've done so far is talk about myself. But I beg you to please bear with me, because where we are going today is the most controversial element of Christianity, the stark opposition to a culture who worships the God of self. There's a reason why when you search self-denial online, Christianity is what meets you on your screen. Cross-bearing is a purely Christian thing. But in the realest of terms, what does it truly mean to bear your Christian cross? How does this go from an abstract ideal or principle to a living, breathing identity that radically changes your life? To answer that, we must wrap our minds around how uniquely Christian cross-bearing is. The list of grace-motivated, or excuse me, the life of grace-motivated self-denial is not merely losing yourself for the sake of losing yourself, like in the world of Eastern religions, that if you just lose yourself, empty your mind, and kind of find this new consciousness, that's the goal. No, it's losing yourself because you have Jesus, which is the exact opposite of the culture we are marinating in every single day. See, Philip Reef a groundbreaking sociology professor at Penn during the 1960s, he shockingly predicted exactly what the dominant conversation in our modern world would be. He called it the psychological man, or as philosopher Charles Taylor calls it, expressive individualism. This turn from traditional cultures that looked outward for identity, but now a turn inward for personal psychological happiness to define you. And so to deny yourself has become the worst sin in our society. The very idea is found to be absurd and degrading. We have not been trained for self-denial in our culture, but self-satisfaction. That you have what it takes to create the life you've always dreamed of for yourself. Now, I want us to really think about this at street level. You know, We all have smartphones, at least most of us do. Maybe you're listening to this podcast on a smartphone. And these smartphones, within a half second, can give you outlets for your boredom, your work projects, your entertainment, and you find out how addicted you are to its self-satisfying ways when you're cut off from its charms for all of 12 hours and you start to question your sanity. 
maybe you were like me, you were part of that whole AT&T shutdown last week. It totally, seriously, it threw me off more than I thought it would. But in all seriousness, do you see how our culture worships self? From Amazon to raising our kids to our jobs to our fun, what is the mantra? Efficiency, immediate results, instant gratification. But think about how sterile of a life that is. It's so mechanical. With its result being that love has no place in the equation anymore. But Jesus has a far grander life for you but one that betrays that our world considers grandeur. We find it right here in Mark 8. The section is at the very heart of Mark's gospel. This is the major turn of Jesus' race to the cross. And Mark does something stylistically here that was very common in, in the literature of his time. Now, authors, and this is especially true in the Old Testament, would place their primary focus right smack dab in the center. The center of the book, the center of the chapter, In the first half, it builds toward it, and the second half fleshes out its effects. So how does Mark, as Peter's memory dictates him, begin this crucial scene? By telling us how Jesus initiated the conversation with an identity question. Who do people say that I am? Now remember where he is saying this, in front of the God of self, Pan. And its principles of chase your desires and you'll find satisfaction. Be true to yourself and you arrive at a life of pleasure. Indulge yourself. Treat yourself. Do you not feel the allure of this temptation? If you say no, I simply wouldn't believe you. I, I find it within my own heart every single day. I see it in the reaction I have when a red light majorly inconveniences me from getting home as quickly as I want to. And I, I get frustrated. I feel it in the flash of frustration when my kids don't immediately listen to me. What is that? What is it? This whole idea, right? How dare you not recognize who it is that's speaking to you, the great and powerful, okay, not Oz, but me, right? That's what self does. But Jesus here, instead of asserting his identity and proving his significance, he asked the disciples to consider what they were hearing about him. After all his miracles, all his preaching, how did so many see him in their culture? Special? Sure. Spiritual? No doubt. A teacher? Superb? Absolutely. A miracle worker? Check. But that's where it stopped. There's the God of self again, right? Jesus, give me what I want to make life easy. Give me the life I deserve. And the disciples weren't immune to that either. Even as Peter makes this beautiful confession when he says, you are the Messiah, he didn't understand yet what he was saying. Which is exactly why Jesus tells him, tells all the disciples, keep this to yourself until I flesh out for you who I truly am. How do we know that Peter didn't get it? Right after, Jesus speaks very openly, very plainly, matter-of-factly, think almost deadpan about what the coming months would entail, his rejection, his suffering, his death, rising from the dead. Peter rebukes him, it says. Now, the word used here by Mark for rebuke is the same word Jesus used to send out demons. It is the strongest, most passionate language used to reject someone or something. And Jesus, in reply, says something that makes us squirm a little, right? He calls Peter Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan. And maybe you're wondering, okay, woo, slow down, Jesus. Let's do some deep breathing exercises. What's the big deal over what Peter said? Simple. If you don't understand who Jesus truly is, If you don't understand his cross, you'll never understand who you truly are and what this life is really all about. See, Jesus is so much more than a prophet, than just a prophet, so much more than a moral teacher, so much more than a philosopher, more, so much more than self-help, 
He's the only way you and I can be saved. His cross is a must. What makes it so excruciatingly difficult for us to believe that is is the disease we share with Peter that's far more heartbreaking than cancer, the disease of sin. In our world of worshiping the inner self, we see how sin has ruined us. To deny self, to embrace Jesus, goes against everything that seems natural to us. To follow him means radical self-sacrifice, the death of our notion of identity and the purpose of our existence. Because think about what Jesus is saying here when he says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. He's saying, you must take up a cross. Not might, not possibly, must. And so much of the cross has been sanitized in our culture. But you and I need to see why the disciples shuddered at the idea of a cross at Caesarea Philippi that day. Maybe you've seen the Alexamenos Graffito. If you haven't, just take a moment, check that out. It's the first known depiction of Jesus' crucifixion. And you know what it looks like? It's a man on a cross, his bottom half exposed of his body, with a donkey head for a face. And the, and the inscription reads, Alexander worships his God. Now, Alexander in the picture is depicted, and this is probably what he was, a Jesus-following Roman soldier. And the message is clear. How could one believe in such an insane thought that God would die on a cross? It's ridiculous. <laughs> Something's never changed. That thought is still around, isn't it? This idea of embracing suffering willingly, giving up who we want to be, losing ourselves, even to extreme suffering like a cross, goes against everything we feel, everything within due to our sin, and everything our culture is preaching to us every day which is what makes what Jesus says next just absolutely earth-shattering. He says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Now, the word Jesus uses for life here, it's very specific. It's not just your biological life involving your lungs, your heartbeat, your brain waves. He's talking about your inner life, your psyche, your personality, the very thing our culture says to drive you. Jesus says, give it up. Deny it. Why? What's the purpose? Jesus says, for me. For the gospel. It's here that Jesus shows us the only way, the impossible lifestyle of self-denial is possible. It can only be given you by Jesus. Through the gospel. So you live a life only for him. And we simply can't be abstract about this. Why you long to live your Christian life, bearing the specific cross the Lord has crafted in love for you, It's this grace-motivated life of living only to follow Jesus. That if you truly want the greatest identity and the most fulfilling life, Jesus is saying, please look at me. Please look at my cross. When you and I survey that wondrous cross, joy rushes in to think that the God of all did not give up on you. He didn't shun you as an unlovable reject. Even if at times we throw ourselves into that all-too-familiar pit of of despair, look into Jesus' eyes in the gospel. Look at him in the word, sacraments. He did the impossible. He made it his necessary mission, his undying purpose, his race, to bring you into his arms. And by that grace, he gave you a status symbol, a cross. A cross, his mark of grace to proudly carry, yes, 
even in those moments when our faces are too frozen in pain to smile, a wondrous cross, that not that we carry it on our own, but Christ who compels us, who cheers you and me on in our race and dips underneath our crosses with us and guides us. And when the slivers of the cross dig in, he picks them out and he heals us. That's the beauty of Christianity. But we still have one major thing we haven't touched on yet. Maybe this is where you, you want to go next. This is what you're thinking about. What is my cross? What is your cross? We know it's a must, right? I mean, Professor Daniel Deutschlander, he says it so phenomenally well. And if you've ever had the chance to read the book, Theology of the Cross, if you haven't, I highly recommend it. He says very succinctly, no cross, no Christian. So we know what Jesus' cross was all about, what it is all about. But what about yours? Well, think about each stage of life. As infants and toddlers, we bear the cross of total dependence, having to rely entirely on others. As teens, we bear the cross of being at times disregarded and thought of as weird for putting Jesus first. And then we go to college and we're confronted by the wisdom of the world and told our faith is mere superstition and stupidity. Then we enter the workforce and realize in one shift how different we are and face the awkwardness of when people see our Christianity. And then, if the Lord so has this in mind for you, in parenthood, we face judgment from surrounding parents for prioritizing Jesus above everything else in our kids' lives. And then, as time goes on, we eventually retire and we bear the crosses of life experience. When Satan attacks you with those with thoughts of past shame and regret, and finally, you find yourself facing death itself and the struggle that comes there too. See, crosses come in infinite shapes and sizes, and if you're wondering what your cross is, it's, you find out by simply answering this question. What aspects of my life attack my faith the most? And once you see that, don't hesitate to go to the next question. How does this lead me closer to Jesus' cross? Because it's here that our crosses become our greatest blessings. It's there that the abstract becomes personal. How our crosses go from pain to pure joy. Because it's the most personal way Jesus comes to you. How he comes near you. It's here that we see what makes Christianity at its core so countercultural today and for all time. Now, C.S. Lewis, decades ago, he said it best in mere Christianity. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. By faith, we lose ourselves in the God of self-denial, who loves us despite total cost to himself. The only true love in the world is that Jesus' greatest joy isn't the achievement or the arrival. His greatest joy is you. He went through all that he did, including the cross, so he could simply embrace you in every moment of your life. He became radically vulnerable out of love for you, expecting nothing in return, to simply give his life away, to lose his life so he could gain you. And so we deny self, not out of necessity, but because Jesus found us. He opens your closed fists, clinging to self, and he takes you by the hand as the Spirit works faith and grows that faith through the gospel. And so self is let go, and the identity he won for you sticks. And we gladly bear our crosses. Why? Just for him. Just for Jesus. Amen. I'm certainly praying for you, even if I've never met you, that 
God gives you that confidence that can only come by his grace to bear those crosses that you have with joy, that they drive you back to Jesus' cross where love and mercy meet and you see your God love you in a radical way. And so again, thank you. I It's an honor to bring these podcasts to you and just thank you for the time you spend in listening to this. It, it's a gift I can't thank God enough for. And I pray for you each day and I pray that the Lord continue to give you joy as you run this race of life with him. God's richest blessings, you live for him now and always.